Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 to the end of the chapter. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write down what, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like the son of, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. May God add his blessing to this reading. In the first talk on the book of Revelation, I suggested that uh, the Revelation comes as a series of pictures to the Apostle through the angel sent by Jesus Christ and the Father. And the message is to bring truth and blessing. It's given authority through uh, the, the one who speaks the message, whose testimony is true. And it, the purpose of it is to make ready the people of God, the seven churches, uh, the, the, the church worldwide, to make them ready for the things that are and the things that are to come. And it's not a leap of the imagination to say if this message was received 2,000 years ago, we are 2,000 years closer to the final things in the book of Revelation. And we probably have seen some of the things that are spoken of because, of course, we're told that they're things that are and things that are to come. These pictures will be a clear way of understanding some of, uh, of, of our life. And, you know, 
it's not that long ago that um, our literature was full of these kind of uh, picture stories. Um, there was a guy called William Langland who wrote a story about Piers the Ploughman and he has a dream and, you know, he's a, a godly man. And, and uh, Geoffrey Chaucer talks about um, some of the, 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 the dreams of, uh, of, of uh, the sort of lowly and religious people. They are, if you like, um, they're, they're, a way, they're a way of understanding something about, uh, about God, a truth. Uh, Cadman, you know, from uh, Whitby, also wrote a, a poem about uh, the the first poem we've got in English um, about the the rude the 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 tableau that stands with the cross at its center. Well, there you go. Uh, Christians like pictures. People like pictures. We we understand the metaphor, don't we? We. We say that um, the, the pavements are cracking in the hot temperature. It's not really a metaphor. It's a picture of the, the, the heat. Um, but we also say things like, you know, it's, a, yeah, um, it's, it's raining cats and dogs, you know, to describe the weather because we, we like pictures. And, of course, Jesus knows this because he spoke in pictures to so many of his followers, taking time to construct stories very carefully and and uh, to make major points through those stories that are unforgettable uh, to, to, to this day. Well, today's talk, the majesty of Christ and the marks of the true church. The majesty of Christ and the marks of the true church church. A quick forenote. Let's, let's talk about John a little bit. John, we know really is uh, John the Apostle, probably related to Jesus, certainly intimate, acquainted, uh, friend of Jesus, referred to as the Apostle that Jesus loved, and he talks about this love uh, in his um, in his letters, and he talks a lot about the, the the words of love that Jesus spoke to his disciples. Now, the Apostle John has seen an awful lot. We think he um, we think he was uh, there at the uh, at, on the day of Pentecost. 29, 30 AD. And so he saw the rapid expansion of the church. It, it, daily the numbers reaching thousands of those who would repent and be baptized and follow Christ. He's seen all of the, the wonders, but he's also seen desperate persecution. He's lived through the persecution that uh, saw the first martyrs of the faith, in particular, of course, Stephen, stoned to death for daring to suggest that he saw the heaven opened and the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of God. And so 
John has lived through that experience, the, the bloody persecution of the early church. And John has also lived through uh, the church expanding into the corners of the earth through, you know, throughout the Roman Empire into Europe. So he's, he's seen that as well. And of course, he has seen desperately sad things in the church. The church being torn apart by people who would argue just really to gain power or influence or even wealth out of the church. This must have been heartbreaking to John. So heartbreaking that there is a story that um, he as an older man in Ephesus was taking a, a, a bath you know, in the big public uh, bathing um, pool. And uh, a man who was, who was famous for denying the, the divinity of Christ, when, when he got in the other end of the, the pool, John called to his, uh, to, to his friends, get me out of here, get me out of here. And he fled the scene. And they said, why, why would you do that? And he said, well, I don't even want to share a pool with a man whose opinion might in some way infect mine. John, of course, suffered. And he was, uh, he was sentenced to spend some time on the Isle of Patmos, not, not a big island. Uh, presumably the weather was good, but the, the um, accommodation was, was quite poor. And... John, from being a public person, had to become a, a private person. And he talks about it here. I was uh, on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. There's that word testimony again. Jesus, the faithful witness whose testimony this is all about. Now John is on the island for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Uh, and we shouldn't be surprised if the testimony of Jesus gets us in trouble. Now, I think I should just say that. We don't know much about the future, but what we do know is that history tells us that authorities have not been kind to Christians and, and still aren't um, to this day. And to be a Christian and really to, to take the Bible seriously and to speak of the goodness of God to talk about the morality of God and the, the commandment of God, to talk about his righteousness and his holiness, to talk about, yes, uh, his anger at sin, uh, to talk about um, the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, to suggest that we are not as we should be, but we can be, who were meant to be by changing, by, uh, by, um, by coming to Jesus and, and, and repenting and turning back from sin and changing our behavior and looking to him and looking to follow his way and to, to pray and to devote our time and our resources to his words, to prayer, to fellowship and so on. Now, to be open about that with people and to say it to folks, well, that could get us in trouble these days. And we know if we look at the news, you know, that the, 
that the uh, airline steward who wore a cross, uh, you know, around her neck, was she was in trouble, and the the nurse who prayed for a patient in the hearing of others was was in trouble. Of course, these seem very isolated cases, or the the the, the baker who wouldn't um, put a a, a, a non-biblical slogan on. On, on on the cake, uh, these are these are very um, startling cases, and they they seem to uh, speak of trouble for for the individual. But actually, um, there are so many things happening, so much legislation, so many things happening in education, so many things happening in social services, and so on, that we shouldn't be surprised if it will be. Uh, a prisonable offence, or a, a fining offence, or uh, you know, or, or lead to the loss of a job, if we are outspoken about Jesus, it shouldn't be a surprise to us. And in in the rest of the world, it's common. So here is John in trouble for the word of God on the island called Patmos, and of course he can't spend time in prayer with others, but he is in the spirit on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is interesting, by the way, just a, a thought, but the Lord's Day is really the first day of the week, isn't it? The Sabbath is what we think of as Saturday. The, the first day of the week is Sunday, um, and it's even called Sunday, uh, the, the first in some languages. Well, the significance, I suppose, of, of the first day to Christians is that if God made the world in six days and rested on the seventh, and remember, not rested because he was tired, but enjoyed and had peace and fellowship with his creation on the seventh day, well, the eighth day, the, the first day of the next week, it's a work day, isn't it? It's a day to put everything uh, back into order, to, to get busy again. And John gets busy by being in the Spirit Recently, we've heard from God uh, to be still and know that he is God. And sometimes to be in the Spirit is to be still before God. And sometimes it is to be overtaken by the presence and the knowledge and the goodness of God. And sometimes to be in the Spirit is simply to be opening our ears in the way that, that John talks about, blessed is the one who... Uh, blessed are those who hear and keep. So, whatever being in the Spirit with was uh, to John, it had something to do with fellowship with Christ in prayer. And the prayer time that we have as a church, although it's often just attended by a few people, is an opportunity to be in the presence of God together and to seek his face. And I will make many bold claims in my life, but one I'm certain of, and have never changed on this opinion, that the church that does not pray doesn't, cannot grow closer to God. Likewise, a church that prays can go through great tribulation. 
John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. <coughs> now, he receives his first, uh, his first vision. And the first vision is actually a sound, and it's the sound of a voice. Write what you see in the book. Now, when you write something down, it becomes permanent. So this is permanent, but it's, it, when, it, when you write it down, you can also copy it, as long as you're careful. You can copy the same thing and you can distribute it. This is why the printing press had such a massive impact on the church in the 16th century, because suddenly the Bible could become available in, in, in people's same language, um, even for quite a modest sum. When you write it down, it becomes permanent. And we're still digging up um, cuneiform tablets from Mesopotamia or, uh, or hieroglyphs from Egypt, aren't we? Write it down. There's a permanency to it. This voice tells him to write what you see. Write it down and send it. And it's addressed, of course, to the seven churches. Well, <clears throat> what then are the marks of the true church? Look, <clears throat> the true church has a name. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. The voice, which we know to be Jesus' voice, is saying, write a love letter to these churches and name them and write the letter to them in a way that they will understand it is personal, it is for them. This is not a circular, this is not a general letter, this is a letter to the church. Now, what makes the church so special to God? Well, we have a picture of the church. Because after, after this initial vision, we're told that the church is a golden lampstand. Golden because it's precious. A lampstand because it raises or elevates the light so that it can be seen. Remember Jesus saying, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. What are the marks of the true church? They, they have a name. In other words, they're situated in an area and they have an identity with that area as well. The church in Ephesus, of course, was a church that was close to the uh, great temple of idolatry, Diana's temple. The, um, <clears throat> uh, the church in Smyrna, next to a big port, and, and, and so on and so forth. Each of the churches had its character or characteristics. But while they were individual in a sense, and they had their own struggles and troubles, they all had that common link. The common link of the church is that it is a, it, it's, it's a lampstand. Now what might that lampstand show us? Yes, it's precious because it's made out of precious metal. But gold is also um, in the Bible used to talk about holiness. So there is a holiness to the church, something special to God. 
Solomon, of course, uh, encased his temple with gold, even over the precious wood of cedar and the, the blocks that, that had been cut off-site. Everything was covered with gold. Why gold? Because it's about purity and holiness and preciousness and goodness. And this shows God's attitude to the church. Remember, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell themselves will not prevail against this. What are the marks of the true church? That God himself has a view of the church that is precious to him. And I don't know if you ever think about your own testimony, but I know that since the day that I came to Christ, I've been convinced about the importance of the church. Now, church can be quite a, quite a difficult family to belong to. But the church is the way that God has chosen to send his message out. And we meet individuals all the time who say, well, I don't actually attend the church, but, you know, I've got faith and God speaks to me and so on. And I, I wouldn't dispute that. But it makes me sad because I don't really believe that that's the way that God would intend it. John, the apostle, is on the island of Patmos. He's been removed from the church in Ephesus for a time. But his task is to show the preciousness of, uh, of the church to God by, by writing down what he sees and sending this love letter from Christ to each of the churches. So you may be inclined to look at your local church and say, I would not set a foot uh, past that door. It's full of hypocrites. It's full of people who are too old, too shy, too unfriendly, too ungodly. You, you might be so tempted to make a judgment, but be careful. The church is God's church. In 1 Corinthians 12, we read that Jesus is the head of the body, his church. If Jesus is the head of it, if Jesus is the is the, uh, the, 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 the Lord of the church, we should be very careful about giving up on local church. So the marks of a true church, precious and purposeful and holy. Precious to God, purposeful in being a lampstand to elevate the light of the gospel and holy in terms of the precious materials, the cleanness of the gold about which it, from which it's formed. And so precious is the church to God, and we should pay attention to this, that there is an angel for each of the churches angel assigned to a church. Now it was a fashion in the, you know, in the uh, Norman and Gothic ages to put gargoyles and all kinds of creatures and beasties up on, uh, up, up on the arches and the, the, the rooftops of, 
of churches and cathedrals, but this is not what this means at all. The angel has two functions, to protect and to deliver a message. Remember Jesus says to Pilate that he could command a legion of angels. We know that one angel defeated an army over and over again in the Old Testament. So there is power and protection in angels. But angels also have that function of, uh, of passing on a message. Just as in verse uh, 1 we read that God sent his angel. Jesus sent a message through his angel. Well, <clears throat> so we find the marks of the true church. And notice that I haven't said anything about the true church uh, sings songs and, uh, you know, from ancient and modern or from the uh, Wesleyan hymnal or from um, songs of fellowship or, you know, uh, hill song. Nothing like that. It's, it's not what the church does that makes it precious. It's God's attitude to the church that makes it precious. Well, I'll, I'll leave that. I'm laboring the point now. The precious, the marks of the true church and the majesty of Jesus. Now, we've all tried to explain something that is a bit like this. We heard the voice and then we turned. And John says that when he heard the voice, which was like a trumpet, like a, a majestic clarion call, <clears throat> he turned to see the voice. In verse 12, and on turning, what does he see? Yes, the lamp stands. And going in among them, one like a son of man. Now, son of man is a term used in Ezekiel. And one like a son of man appears in Daniel chapter 7 and 10. A son of man. One who looks like a man who is a man. And yet, so much greater. One like a son of man, not because he isn't a man, but because he's much more than a man. He's like a son of man, first of all clothed with a long robe. Long robes always denote authority. They denote that, that leadership. Because you can't pick up a, a, a power tool in a long robe. You're not made for that. The long robe is there to put a person at rest whose work is to command. He's clothed with a long rope. He has a golden sash around his chest. And this denotes the majesty of Jesus, the kingship of the Son of Man. The hairs of his head were white like wool. Now, a lot of us don't like to be going grey. And uh, I'm sure there's plenty of products out there on the market um, the best one to me is just to keep it short and keep your hair short and then it doesn't show up too much. But the whiteness of the hair 
actually in a lot of uh, a lot of nations denotes wisdom experience the thoughts of someone who has truly lived life and in this case the hair is so white it is like snow do you see the apostle struggling to describe how white the son of man's hair is his eyes are like a flame of fire we're told that when Jesus looked at a person he knew the person these eyes will pierce into the very soul of a person to see their motives to see their thoughts to to see the, even their imagination and there is something laser-like almost burning about these eyes because being known puts us in a vulnerability that we may not like to have <clears throat> and so his eyes are like a flame of fire his feet like burnished bronze this picture recalls doesn't it the dream of nebuchadnezzar the statue with feet of iron and clay but a greater one whose feet are like burnished bronze in other words impenetrable to the uh, stones and the slings um, of, uh, of, of the enemy. Bronze, that strong metal, and, and the colour of health and vitality. How many people want to be bronze today? Of course we all do. Bronze refined in a furnace. And we know that Jesus, Son of Man, Son of God, Son of Man, was refined in the furnace of death. Not because he needed refining, of course he didn't, but because he completed the perfection of God's will by giving himself in death. <clears throat> refining a furnace, and his voice like the roar of many waters. The psalmist talks about God being the voice of many waters, and the prophets too talk about the voice of many waters. Of course, this shows that the collected strength of the, the oceans themselves is the voice of God. Look what he's holding. These seven stars. And his, and his, and his mouth has uh, a sword coming out of it, a double-edged sword. We always think that a double-edged sword gives us a sense of precision, that there is part of the sword which is to uh, cut and part to thrust. What we really know is that this is a symbol of the power of Christ, that there is, a, if you like, a military power but also a power to say something that just gets to the point. And we should be careful about how we use this word of God, this 
sword that emanates from the mouth of Christ because it's not to damage or to upset. It's to perform life-giving miracles and it's also to bring discipline and judgment. But it's for him to use. He is the user of, uh, of, of this sword. Now, <clears throat> we're told uh, that the word of God is the 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 sword, um, if you like, in the armor of God, is is the word of God. You need to be very careful and very skillful in how to use it. Well, looking into the face of the Son of Man, John notices sun sunlight emanating the vigour and the life. And in his majesty, the majesty of the picture of the Son of Man, Jesus speaks. Don't be afraid. Have we got so far from the majesty of Christ in, in our own lives? that we've lost that sense of awe and fear and trembling. He says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one, the one who is, the one who was, the one who is to come and the one who is today, the living one. I died. Behold, I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades in this holy picture we see the greatness of Christ his majesty his authority we see what he is capable of and we see that he identifies entirely with God who is always God who is and was and who is to come God, Father. And so Jesus, in this way, identifies himself as being co-eternal with God. I'm alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Well, I won't like to give too many sermons about death and Hades, but it's worth remembering that Jesus himself talks about giving the keys to the church and their keys of life and death and their keys of eternity and their keys that show God's right to make judgment and their keys which show God's right to unlock. Later in the book of Revelation we see that there is an unlocking and a locking again because Jesus is the keeper of the keys. Well, the majesty of Christ and the marks of the true church. <laughs>